Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Thank you so much for joining us for another segment. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Juliet Knowles in this segment, pediatric neurologist at Stanford Medicine Children's Health and assistant professor of neurology and of pediatrics at Stanford Medicine. She's joining us to talk about a new Stanford Medicine study outlining why seizures generally become more frequent and severe in epilepsy patients who don't take medication or whose epilepsy doesn't respond to medication. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. Knowles. Thank you so much uh, for that introduction, Neil. I'm really uh, happy to be here and to discuss this work. Well, briefly tell us what brought you to Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Has pediatrics always been uh, your uh, interest in medicine? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, So my uh, time here at Stanford started when I was uh, uh, an MD-PhD student, and um, I first got involved in neuroscience research working with Dr. Frank Longo, who's currently the chair of neurology here at Stanford. Um, And when I first started out, um, I was working with Dr. Longo um, to study Alzheimer's disease and um, did not at that time think that I was going to be a pediatric provider. So I did really exciting, rewarding work in Dr. Longo's lab and then moved on to complete the rest of my MD training. And that involved, you know, actually going into clinical uh, situations and caring for patients. And when I did that, um, I discovered that I really loved pediatrics and working with uh, children and their families. So I decided to become a pediatric neurologist. Um, But I still had that, uh, that passion for neuroscience research. And so I decided to do a postdoctoral training period with uh, Dr. Michelle Manje, who is also here on faculty in neurology at Stanford, and Dr. John Huguenard, who is a brilliant um, basic neuroscientist, uh, also on our neurology faculty. Well, I said that you were going to talk about a, a new study the, uh, there at Stanford. The study outlines some new insights into the mechanics of how seizures worsen in epilepsy patients who uh, either aren't taking their medication or who are not responding to medication. Tell us about this study and what the latest findings are. Yeah, so um, I think it, you know, sort of as an introduction to the study, it's important to provide a little context. The first point is that this study and the the questions behind it really began with the discovery in the last decade of something called activity-dependent myelination. So myelin is an insulating substance that um, is wrapped around the projections or axons that emanate from neural cells in the brain. And um, previously, um, it was believed that myelin, um, you know, is formed in the brain, um, primarily in the first few years of life, and then it is, you know, really unchanging uh, over the course of our lives. But within the last decade, we've come to understand that actually myelin is more dynamic than that, and that myelin dynamics actually play a really important part in um, neurological function. And um, so the specific kind of discovery was that um, neuronal activity can actually influence myelin structure and lead to changes in myelin structure. And those changes in myelin structure in turn can influence subsequent neuronal activity. So for example, um, one a pattern of neuronal activity might lead to increases or decreases uh, in myelination within a, a neural network 
Um, and those myelin changes uh, can serve to reinforce those same patterns. Um, and so while activity-dependent myelination has primarily been described in the context of the healthy state in, in the setting of learning and optimizing neurological function, um, our study looked at um, myelin plasticity in the setting of a particular type of pediatric epilepsy, which is generalized epilepsy with absence seizures. Now, as far as adaptive myelination, um, can you expand on that a bit? And you mentioned just uh, just a moment ago myelin plasticity. How does it contribute to brain functions? Prior to our study, um, there had been some studies um, in humans uh, where they would, you know, do um, imaging of white matter um, both um, before and after sort of training or learning tasks and. Um, those imaging studies indicated that, um, you know, brain white white matter structure or, you know, myelinated um, neurons, their structure was changing in the context of learning. And then um, the uh, activity-dependent myelination was studied a bit further in um, animal models where, you know, people were really able to demonstrate a, a cause and effect relationship where neuronal activity changes myelin structure, and those um, changes in myelin structure influence uh, uh, neuronal network function. And this was shown in the context of um, different types of neurological function, including um, motor function, um, memory tasks, and, um, and also uh, cognitive functions such as short-term memory and attention. Does this uh, plasticity deteriorate over time or due to age? That's a very good question. Um, you know, studies from from animal models indicate that myelin plasticity is sort of maximal, um, you know, early in life, and then we retain the capacity to undergo myelin plasticity throughout our lives. But um, perhaps it's a bit, you know, less robust the more that we age. I understand you also focused on absence seizures on better understanding the link between myelination and these seizures, the ultimate outcome that we're, we're trying to get to. Let me just sort of summarize what we found. We, we found, you know, um, that sort of analogous to what happens in the healthy brain, these absence seizures, um, you know, that occur in multiple forms of epilepsy lead to um, activity-dependent myelination in the brain network that gave rise to these absence seizures. And then we were able to show that um, these increases in myelination that occur, you know, in the setting of sort of acute seizures are very specific to the seizure network. So they don't occur everywhere, only where the seizures are occurring. Um, and on the flip side, if we are able to block activity-dependent myelination either through genetic means or um, through administration of a drug, that blocking activity-dependent myelination um, dramatically reduces sort of that pattern of seizures getting more and more frequent over time. So it seems that um, seizures are uh, inducing activity-dependent myelination and that activity-dependent myelination in turn is um, making that same seizure network more prone to seizures. You also asked about, you know, what are the next steps from these findings and, and what do we ultimately hope to achieve with this? So this, um, this is, you know, the first study to demonstrate 
um, activity-dependent myelination in a disease state um, and that activity-dependent myelination um, can actually sort of further promote um, a disease state like epilepsy. And we've termed this maladaptive myelination to indicate that it's different from the, the process of adaptive myelination. Because it's the first study, you know, there are, uh, this opens up a lot of interesting questions for us to explore moving forward. So one question uh, is whether activity-dependent myelination and, and maladaptive myelination um, occurs, you know, in multiple forms of epilepsy and what role it might play in other types of epilepsy. Um, because um, the epilepsies are really a collection of diseases um, that all have sort of uh, different times when they're, they start in life and different causes and can occur in different locations in the brain. So I, one um, uh, direction that my research group is taking is to start looking at other forms of pediatric epilepsy to see if maladaptive myelination also occurs in those forms of epilepsy. And one example is uh, uh, an epilepsy uh, syndrome called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which is a, a severe form of epilepsy. Another question is, um, you know, because activity-dependent myelination occurs in the healthy state, we really would like to find ways that we could target unhelpful or maladaptive myelination while preserving adaptive myelination that helps us to learn and function. And so to get at that, we're studying the specific signals that um, link neuronal activity to um, oligodendrocytes that, that make myelin. Um, and in the hopes that we can identify some specific signals um, that are, you know, specific to the disease process and, and target those. Ultimately, my goal, you know, is to take these findings that we've made in the lab and um, translate them into either new therapies or, or new understanding of how this disease works um, that will uh, improve the lives of children with epilepsy. Well, where can our listeners get some more information? For uh, general information, if you just want to learn more about epilepsy, I think a great website is um, www.epilepsy.com. That's the Epilepsy Foundation. Um, and um, I understand, Neil, that you're going to put a link to our Nature Neuroscience publication on this uh, in the show notes, which is Absolutely. great. Well, I appreciate your time, Dr. Knowles. Thank you so much for joining us here on Health Professional Radio. Thank you so much, Neil. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard, in conversation with Dr. Juliet Knowles. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen in, download at Anchor Spotify, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Radio. 